All right, we are continuing in the Making Room New Things series this morning in the book of John, chapter 17. This is where it's at. Verses 20 to 26. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Good morning. Thank you, Cindy. Happy 49er game day. Hope you guys are excited about that. Anybody watching that? No, a number of our folks are out there uh, getting ready to cheer them on. It's a fun day in the life of, San, uh, of the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, we don't have a lot of teams doing too well, so we'll take what we can get with the 49ers. Um, welcome to Current. I'm David, a lead pastor here. It's good to be with you. I'm really excited to look at the text uh, before us today with you because this has got to be one of the most sacred of all texts in the Scriptures. Now, I realize that this is God's Word, and in a very real sense, all of God's Word is equally sacred. So I get that. But still, in a special sense, there's a, there's a way in which this text is almost especially sacred. And the reasons for that are, are at least fourfold. For, for one, this is Jesus' last words, in a way. Uh, these are some of Jesus' very last words. Uh, what nurses and caretakers will tell us is when people are, you know, nearing the end of their life, it's, it's worth listening in especially. It's worth leaning into because the words that will often be shared are more reflective and are more meaningful and powerful. Here are Jesus' last words. Uh, Here is also Jesus' only long and continuous prayer recorded in the scriptures, uh, which is an interesting thought. Jesus prayed a lot. Uh, We're we're told all over the, the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Jesus was always praying, going off by himself and praying and and just praying, praying, praying. But we don't have too many of those prayers actually recorded. Um, We actually only have a few. And of those few, uh, this is the only long and continuous prayer that is recorded of his. And then third, this is an especially sacred text because this is Jesus praying. Okay, the Bible is filled with many wonderful prayers prayed by great people. Uh, We have Abraham praying. We have Moses praying. We have Hannah praying. All these people praying. But here are, here's, uh, are the words of Jesus, the Son of God, praying. And then perhaps most incredible of all, uh, we have Jesus here praying for us. Um, Jesus said here that he's praying for those down the ages who either will have put their faith in him or for people he longs will have put their faith in him. Uh, he's praying for us. Uh, so this is a very special and sacred text, which is worth leaning into and learning from, which I could think of no greater text to consider today as we consider our topic of prayer. 
at the, at the turn of the year, we shared some pretty exciting news here at Current that we're getting ready to launch a second gathering time on February 9th, which we're really excited about. And so we're gearing up this month uh, leaning, uh, uh, leading into that, talking about ways in which you can be involved. Okay, so there's three ways we've been highlighting. You can pray, you can serve, and you can bring. Uh, last week, we talked about serving. Uh, there's still opportunities to sign up to serve. If you're interested in that, you can fill out the little card and, and get on a team and be part of a community as we, as we roll up sleeves and serve together. Today, we focus on praying, okay? And we look at uh, how the Lord himself prayed to understand his heart and his mind for prayer, which is a striking thought, by the way, if you're here and you don't identify as Christian. Maybe you don't pray all that often. Maybe you've never prayed at all. Uh, how did Jesus pray in this long, continuous pray? I think oftentimes when we pray, it's usually for things like, God, help me. God, provide. God, show up. If you're even there, um, those are good prayers. But here in this very special, this very sacred prayer, we see Jesus' heart for prayer and Jesus' heart for us in prayer. So hopefully as a church, we can have this on mind as we go into praying for this transition as a church and just learning to pray in general as, as followers of his if we are. Uh, let me pray and then we'll learn about prayer. Uh, Father, thank you so much for this prayer, what an astounding thought to consider that if Jesus needed to pray, how much more do we need to pray? Um, Lord, would you open up our hearts and our minds to this, this sacred of text, this, this prayer where Jesus is just crying out with the heart of Father, O righteous Father, unto you. Lord, would you, would you help us learn from your heart for prayer and your heart for, for us to have in prayer? Uh, we pray this in his name, Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to be looking at at least, uh, we're going to be looking at three observations of how Jesus prayed. Number one, Jesus prayed for unity among his followers. Uh, it says here in verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone, Jesus prayed. By the way, he's in the presence of his 12 disciples, his 12 students. So he had been praying for them uh, leading up to this moment. He says, my prayer is not just for them. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father just as you are in me and I am in you. And then skipping down to verse 23, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Jesus prayed for unity among his followers, which is such a fascinating thought, isn't it? Now here's, here are Jesus' last words, the only long continuous prayer in the Bible we have recorded. And what does he pray for of all the things he could pray for? He prays for unity among his followers. Uh, why is that? Uh, Jesus undoubtedly, with uh, what was ahead of him, he was getting ready to be arrested in a few hours' time. He was going to be falsely tried. He was going to be uh, crucified and ultimately raised to life by the Father. Uh, all this was just hours in front of him get being, the, being set into motion. And what he had in his mind, of course, was the continuation of the ministry. Uh, Jesus was thinking about the ministry after he left here on earth uh, and his disciples and his followers to carry that on. Uh, and so what was he praying for? Why, why would he pray for unity? Uh, because that's kind of important. I mean, you think about the things he could have prayed for and why he didn't pray for those things. For instance, he could have prayed against persecution in the church. Uh, this week, I did a little bit of uh, self-study on the early church persecution in the Roman Empire, and I was astonished at how much persecution, how severe it was back then. I mean, I know my church history. I know that there was a lot of persecution in the early, Roman Empire, uh, early church history of the Roman Empire, but man, reading it this week, it was severe. It was bad. It was brutal. 
I mean, for almost 300 years, Roman emperor after Roman emperor issued decrees killing Christians if they didn't either recant their faith in Jesus or sacrifice to pagan gods. Uh, just tons and tons of Christians being killed. And you know how the Romans were back then. Uh, they were just being killed in the most brutal of ways. And yet, we also know history to know that it's in that very time that Christianity spread perhaps more than any other time in the history of humankind, at least in terms of the people who are alive and the percentages. Um, and then we think about today, persecution around the world, a lot of which we don't see in our, or read in our mainstream media in terms of how many Christians are being persecuted today. The reality is where there is a lot of persecution happening today, where Christians are being killed, actually the gospel is spreading there in faster ways than other parts of, of the world. Um, Jesus could have prayed against persecution, but it wasn't persecution. It hasn't been persecution that has, that, that, that has threatened to quell the gospel from advancing. What has threatened to quell the gospel from advancing? Disunity in the church. Again, church history is replete with examples of this. I mean, you think about all the wars, in fact, let alone the bickering and the infighting between Christians that happened over lack of unity. For instance, over things like mode of baptism or things like uh, what is actually happening in the moment that we take communion, that we eat the bread and we, we drink the juice. What is happening in that moment? Uh, lots of disunity around that. Uh, lots of wars that have even affected people outside of the church, let alone inside. Lots of disunity disrupting the gospel from advancing. Now, while our modern minds, and by the way, even modern Christians, would look at those events and be like, what were these idiots thinking? I mean, fighting over things like that, like what on, on earth would, would possess them to do that? The reality is we do the same thing. Um, there is lack of unity all over uh, the planet, uh, and that also manifests, manifests itself in the church. Um, for instance, if we want to think about it in terms of in the church, just take politics as an example. I mean, there's Christians on both sides of the political aisle where they're just at each other's throats because of differences of political opinion. Now, here's a good place to pause and say what we are not saying, what I believe Jesus is not saying here, is that Christians need to be in absolute agreement on anything and everything, right? That's not what we're saying. Unity is not uniformity, but it's even when we do disagree, how do we work through those disagreements? And if you take politics as an example, you see a lot of just real nasty things being said between Christian groups and whatnot. It's really sad. It's really tragic. Or let's get into the minutia of it, because I think this is helpful for, for church-going Christians to, to consider. Sometimes where lack of unity manifests itself is in terms of how we view other Christian churches. For instance, how they worship. Um, you know, often how we might express it without even realizing it is, oh, that church over there, uh, they don't focus enough on and then fill in the blank. Or, oh, that church over there, they focus too much on, and then fill in the blank. You know, it's been a big temptation for us starting a church. You know, it's really tempting for a church startup is to define ourselves as, oh, we're not those Christians over there. It's really easy to do that, but from the very beginning, we've been like, no, no, we don't want to, we don't want to try our best to not say that. We, what, what are we about? Uh, if we're not careful, what we can easily do, Christian friends, is take what we think is really important and what is actually just more of a preference and place moral judgment or moral weight to it. But really, that's just lack of unity. Uh, we got to be really careful. What, what Jesus is showing us here is it is really easy. It is really easy to break unity 
And so we have to be careful. And, and by the way, this, this can happen not just between churches. It can happen within the same church. Uh, by God's grace, I've, we've experienced, I believe, we've enjoyed a lot of unity here at Current. But we're no perfect church. And, uh, and I believe if we were to really think about this, we would, we would have to think about how this impacts us. Let me put some forms of disunity up on the board because I just think this is worth kind of thinking about for a second. Here are some forms of disunity. Gossip, insensitivity, negative criticism, jealousy, backbiting, an unforgiving spirit, a root of bitterness, failure to appreciate others, self-preoccupation, greed, selfishness, and every other form of lovelessness. If we're real about it, that's us, each one of us, uh, more often than we care to recognize or admit. Um, we got to be real careful. Jesus prayed for unity because it's, it's a vital importance. Um, but the flip side of this is that when unity among Christians is intact, it's one of the most beautiful things to experience. Again, we're not talking about uh, uniformity here. We're, we're praying, uh, Jesus is praying for unity rooted in love. One of my uh, favorite experiences working at a church, which I'll real quickly caveat, my favorite has been here at Current. Love you guys. Um, my other favorite... Uh, was working at a church in Shanghai, of all places. Cindy and I lived there uh, in China for, for two years. And I happened to just work at a, a large church over there. It's a very unique scenario. You have, you know, about a, a million expatriates in that city of Shanghai. And uh, so a lot of these inter internationals, and English being usually the, the, you know, the language of, of common uh, usage, um, try to find a place to meet. And because the government and the state uh, and the church work differently over there, you, you don't have a lot of options. All this to say is I was working as one of two pastors at a church of 2,500 people, and it was represented of about 83 nations. So it's just incredibly diverse church in any and every way you, you can conceive of. Just, just gospel-believing Christians from all over the planet and from every shape, form, denomination, theological background, you name it. Um, it was beautiful as it was messy. You know, it was a wonderful experience. I loved it, but don't, don't hear me over-romanticize it and say it was all easy, you know, uh, butterflies and sunshine type, type thing. You know, it, was, it was really hard. And as, as a pastor, I could share a number of stories, but the point was, in the midst of that work, in the midst of finding common ground on the essential things, namely Jesus, his scriptures, uh, there was a lot of beauty, even as there was a lot of work. Um, there's a quote that is often attributed to Augustine. I don't think Augustine actually said it, but uh, it's most often attributed to him. Uh, he said, in the essentials, unity, in the non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Now, please don't misunderstand this text. It's often been used to kind of as a, as a cop-out and just water everything down to say there's no essentials. No, there's, there's essentials, and God's clear on the essentials. The, the Scriptures are clear on the essentials. Still, this thought is really helpful and, and beautiful. It's this idea of what are the essentials and find unity there. And on the non-essentials that are still important, work them out, but there's liberty there. And in all things, charity, of course, that, that old English uh, word meaning kindness and love for all humankind. And then we have uh, 19th century pastor, preacher Charles Spurgeon saying it like this, Beloved, those in whom Christ lives are not uniform, but one. Uniformity may be found in death, but this unity is life. Those who are quite uniform may yet have no love to each other, while those who are different widely may still be truly and intensely one. Our children are not uniform, but they make one family. Uh, unity among his followers, Jesus is saying, is of utmost importance. Therefore, it's something we need to strive for. 
with his help, and it's something we need to pray for. Uh, is unity something you've prayed for or you pray for regularly? Can I ask that you pray for unity, uh, starting here at, at Current, uh, among this uh, body of, of people uh, gathering on a week-in, week-out basis, especially in light of going to two services? We've talked about this in the past, that change is change is change, and even really exciting changes means, okay, there's going to be things like strains on relationships, bonds of trust, bonds of, of, of grace. I'm not trying to say that that's happening right now behind the scenes at current. There's just like lack of unity and people are just all up in arms. Uh, or, or to suggest or, or presume that that is going to happen. But my point is, Jesus is saying we can't take it for granted. And we need to pray for it. And we need to ask his favor in that way. And then, and then secondly, I'd ask, can you pray for unity among all his followers? Not just here at current, but, but out there everywhere. Um, it's real easy when Christians get together and find out other Christians are, oh, you're other Christian. It's real easy, even just, just inadvertently, to start identifying the differences as opposed to finding common ground and love and caring for each other. And I guess I would just say, my, my thought here is that has to start in our own hearts, right? Not in the others. So we got to be praying for this heart posture of unity to start with us, within me, within you. And then, and then lastly, I'd, I'd ask, and would you pray for grace? For it seems to me if unity is an engine, grace is the grease or the oil to make things run and run and run smoothly. So first we see that Jesus prayed for unity among his followers. Second, we see that Jesus prayed for the world to believe. Verse 21, I pray that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And then verse 23, may they be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Therefore, what we see here is unity is a means towards an end, at least in, in one sense, and that is towards helping people come to know and believe in Jesus. Um, that the world may believe that you have sent me, Jesus prayed. Uh, what we see here is Jesus had a really strong desire, a longing for more people to find him and put their faith in him. And we, what we see is uh, we need to have that same thought. This is the gospel, by the way. This is the good news of Jesus, that God created us to be in relationship with him, that he created us to be in a loving relationship with him, but we rejected him. In fact, we reject him regularly, um, and we live a life apart from him. That's what the Bible calls sin by the way, is living a life apart from him, living in disobedience towards him or, and, and uh, selfishly towards other. And the consequences of sin, the Bible describes, is death. Not just physical death, by the way, but spiritual death, meaning separation from God forever. Something that we choose, by the way, when we choose to live apart from him. But God didn't want us to remain separated from him. He wants us to be in his family. So he sent his son to die for us on the cross. He made a way back into relationship with him. That's the gospel, that when we believe in him, when we receive him for what he's done for us, we can have life, eternal life in him. And Jesus wants everybody to receive that and believe in him. And he's not going to force that upon you. But as Christians, it is Jesus' desire, it seems to me, in this prayer for us to also have this yearning, to also have this longing, to also have this priority that those outside the faith would come to know him too. I was at a conference two weeks ago uh, with a group of Christian pastors from all over the Bay Area kind of meeting, and there was this time where we just kind of had, you know, 
it was just kind of break time, and I got to meet a pastor up in the East Bay, a pastor of a, of a pretty big church there. And he was just asking about Kern. He heard that we were a startup, and he's like, oh, tell me about it. And he just lit up, first of all, that, that we're you know, a new church in, in the Mountain View area. But then also, he really got excited when he heard that people have been putting their faith in Jesus here. He's just like, oh, that's what it's all about. And then he said this. He said, David, fight to keep that as a priority. Little did he know, if, if you've been around current for any length of time, you know this is a very strong value of ours. Uh, we, we, we think about this and talk about this a lot. I didn't want to interrupt him and say that. I just wanted to say, what do you mean by that? What do you mean we need to fight for that? Just keep talking. He said, you've got to fight for it because what I've seen over and over again is churches, especially as they get older, they become increasingly about themselves. It could become, over time, they just become about them. And then, here's what he said. He said, and then what, it, what reaching out to others becomes is merely a head nod. I thought that was interesting. He said, what, what happens in churches, and he, and, he, and he said very vulnerably, this has happened in the church that I'm leading, he said, what happens is we're, we're, we say the words we're about reaching those outside the church, but really it's just a head nod. He said, you got to fight against that. I was like, wow, that's making a sermon. Um, we've, this is so important to Jesus that we need to strive for it. We need to pray for it. We need to pray to have a heart posture individually and collectively. This is a priority. By the way, this is the vision of moving to two gathering times. We want to make room. We want to make room for our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers who don't have a church home. Uh, we, want to, we want to reach out and, 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 and invite them and bring them in. Jesus had this deep desire. He wants us to as well. And then what we see here too is that Jesus is showing us in this prayer that this, this unity is the vital way in which this happens, that people come to know Jesus. Did, did you catch that? In verse 21, it says, may they be one so that the world would believe. May they be brought to complete unity, then the world will know that you sent me. Uh, unity among believers, in other words, is a key way in which people come to find and follow Jesus. We're going to be talking about this in the welcome lunch today. If you're here uh, and you're, you're planning to attend that, or you weren't planning to attend that, you, you're welcome to. There's, there's going to be food there for you too as well. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about this because this is very much the heart of current. Uh, our, our vision verses, if you will, uh, actually happened just a few chapters back in the same book of John, um, which is actually just moments before this prayer. It's one long, continuous dialogue that Jesus had been having with the disciples, ending with this prayer. But what he said to his disciples in that time was, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then he said, by, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another, which is such a beautiful thought. Because it means, do we have to help people know about Jesus by standing up on a soapbox and preaching? Not necessarily. If you feel led to do that and God gives you grace in that, go for it. What did Jesus say is the way in which we help people come to know that we're his followers, connect the dots, and maybe even put their faith in him, is by loving one another. Same thing here. It's unity among his followers. And so we have to strive for this. We have to pray for this. But the point, again, is this doesn't just happen automatically. Um, we've got to commit to this and, and, and pray for this. Uh, which leads us to the third and final thought that we see Jesus praying for. Jesus prayed for his glory to be made evident. So he prayed for unity among his followers. He prayed for the world to believe. And then he prayed for his glory to be made evident. Uh, verse 22, he said, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as you are one. 
Then verse 24, Father, I want those who you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. I don't know about you, but when I think of this word glory, especially in light of how Jesus is using it in terms of him receiving it from the Father, my mind immediately goes to kind of like a brilliant light, you know, just kind of a radiant light, you know, medieval painting, halo effect, Jesus like glorious, gloriously like lit, right? And to be, to be real, that's actually how God describes himself in the scriptures. In Exodus, the second book of the Bible, there's this time where Moses is praying just this astonishingly bold prayer, God, show me your glory. And even more astonishingly, God actually says, okay, I'm going to show you my glory. But he kind of caveats it saying essentially like, I can't show you my full glory. If I give you a full dosage, you're just, it's going to kill you. Uh, God's just too pure, too holy, uh, too, too, too perfect. Um, he said, so what I'm going to do, Moses, is I'm going, to, I'm going to hide you in the mountainside, a cleft there. I'm going to cover you, and then I'm going to walk past you. And after I walk past you, I'll, I'll, I'll uncover you. You'll see, you'll see me from the, you'll see my back, and you'll see my glory that way. And so that's what happens. You know, Moses is put in the cleft of the mountainside. God covers him, walks by, and he says actually a very glorious thought. He says something to the effect of, I am the Lord, uh, gracious and compassionate, slow to, uh, slow to anger, abounding in, in love. Um, even as I don't uh, let evil go unpunished. He said a glorious thought, but then he removes the covering and Moses sees his back and immediately Moses becomes just glorious himself, just radiant himself. So much so that when he goes back to these people, the people are like, you've been with God. Like You're still, you're literally radiant Moses. That's the glory of God. That's a description of God's glory in the scriptures. But you want to know something even more glorious about God? Dare I say it? was the fact that here before the disciples, God the Son had taken off for a time his heavenly glory, that same heavenly glory, to take upon himself human flesh and to be among them and to be among us. Uh, Here was Jesus in the flesh, God the Son, eating with them, living with them, spending time with them. In fact, John would later write about this moment, years later looking back on that moment, he just, it hit him how much they didn't fully realize how wonderful it was being able to spend time with Jesus. But later, after he reflected on it, he started his, one of his accounts, his letters to the church saying, man, we got that which was from the beginning, we got to see, we got to touch with our own hands. Jesus, the Son of God. But even more glorious than that, and actually most glorious of all, is what Jesus had been saying throughout all his time with the disciples. Over and over again, over and over again, he'd say, the hour has not yet come for the Son, to be glorified. And then finally, toward the end of his life, he says, the hour has come for me to be glorified. And what was he referring to, of course, when he talked about his ultimate glory? He was talking about going to the cross, where God the Father sent God the Son to remove his glory and to take upon himself our shame. Uh, That's what the cross is all about. Jesus uh, releasing his glory, taking upon our shame so that we could receive his glory. Uh, that's a beautiful thought. What does that mean that we receive his glory and that we make his glory made evident to those around us? Is it by standing up in the workplace and saying, hey, I'm glorious. I'm a Christian. Look at me, holy as I am. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel, right? The gospel is Jesus died for us because we're not the people we ought to be. We're broken. In fact, Christians should be the first to say we desperately need outside help. We don't have this worked out but we're so thankful for Jesus and the forgiveness he offers. 
And we're just trying to humbly live that out. Christians should be the first to say that. Not, hey, look at me, like that. That's my, look at the glory. No, what is our glory? It's displaying his glory. And how do we do that? It's in the same way it's laying down our lives for others. It's living selflessly. It's, li- it's putting others first. It's loving those who don't always deserve it. It's being patient. It's being kind. It's being uh, not envious, not boastful. That is God's glory. Isn't that an amazing thought? And the glory that he wants to make uh, known through you and me. Our glory is reflecting his glory by putting others first. I don't know about you, but I want this prayer to shape my prayers. I, I want to pray for unity among Christians more and more. Uh, here at Current, uh, but also just out there in the world for his unity to made, uh, for, for unity among uh, Christians. Um, and I want to pray for the world to know him and to put their faith in him increasingly so. Uh, and by the way, for the unity of believers to help facilitate that. And I want to pray for his glory to be on display. Um, this beautiful, this most refreshing act of love to, be, to, to love unconditionally and selflessly as he did. Uh, these are all wonderful things. It's a high calling. And guess what, friends? None of us can do any of this apart from his help. But that's the point of this text. We get to pray to the one who has done all this for us and ask for his help. So may that be true of us here at Current, not only heading into two services, but, but uh, going on forevermore, all for his glory. Let us pray. Uh, in the privacy of this moment, uh, with, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to give you an opportunity. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus and what he's done for you on the cross, I want to give you that opportunity even now to raise your hand and to indicate that you've decided, whether today or in the recent past, to put your faith in Jesus. And raising your hand does not save you, by the way. Uh, putting our faith in Jesus, something that happens in our heart is what God sees and does and, 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 and sees that and saves us. Um, but raising your hand, I will see it. I'll pray for you. More importantly, God will see it and he'll receive you. So I want to give you an opportunity. If you are here today and you would like to receive Jesus or really claim that for the first time, you can raise your hand now and I'll pray for you. Just another moment. Let's pray. Father, we don't deserve your love. We don't deserve your care. We don't deserve the way that you sent your son, setting aside his glory for a time to take upon himself our shame, which is really the gospel. And so we thank you for that. And we thank you that beyond that even, we have a text like this of him pouring out his heart before you and showing us your heart for us and for those around us. Father, would you give us your heart? And would you give us your heart in prayer? Father, would, would this prayer help mold and shape the way that we pray? And then, Father, we also pray just in light of the events of what you're doing here in this church family. We pray that you go before us when we, as we get ready to launch the second service. Father, it would be really fun and exciting. But Lord, most of all, would, would you protect unity in the midst of it? And would you use it to help many people even more come to know you, put their faith in you? 
And perhaps most of all, would you receive all the glory? We love you, Father, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.